may be seated. I'm going to read the pastor's text this morning for him. In the book of Hosea, chapter 2, beginning with verse 14 through verse 23. It says, Therefore, behold, I will lure her, will bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there, and the valley of Acre as a door of hope. She shall sing there, and as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband, and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of Baals, and they shall be remembered by the names no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things on the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and in mercy. I will betroth to you and me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, and with new oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her of myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. Brother Bob Fisher, would you stand and ask the Lord's blessings? Amen. Thank you, Brother Bob. Amen. Give the Lord praise for that wonderful prayer. Amen. <clears throat> this morning's message is going to be a very challenging message, but at the very same time, I believe it's going to be an encouraging message. As a matter of fact, over the years, I've preached on what we call the coming, shakening of our country or of our nation. And I don't want to be redundant, but you know, a lot of times we, we have to kind of be repetitious in order to get it into our spirits. But I looked at the present all the way back to the year of 2000 and I didn't go past the year 2000 because I couldn't find them and I didn't have enough time to read and all of that kind of a thing. But I looked at the message that I preached in the past, how that God warned us of, of the changes that was coming to our nation. The things that we've been preaching and warning about and revealing here at the palace over the, all those 20 years is now beginning to come to pass. I thought of how that they mocked David Wilkerson some of some of his prophecies that he prophesied way back in the 1980s. As a matter of fact, that man prophesied about the coming disaster of New York itself and many other surrounding cities in the United States. He prophesied of the fires, the looting, the rioting, the chaos. 
chaos, the lawlessness, and the corruption of government. He named all of those things and several other things that we're not going to get into. And every one of those things come to pass. Though he died and did not see them and he was mocked because they said he was a false prophet because he prophesied them in 1980 and they didn't show up until sometime after his death. Yet now, those things that he prophesied, we see them upon us. Hey, can I have an amen? The things that I preached 20 years ago that seemed to be so far-fetched or even unbelievable is now beginning to become a reality. I've not only preached those things, but Brother Randy has it, other ministers behind this pulpit. And if a person went into a coma 20 years ago and they just woke up out of the sleep and all of a sudden you begin to tell them everything that was going on in our world today, they would laugh you in scorn and unbelief. They would not believe how things has changed in America, in our culture in the last 20 years. The things that is beginning to happen, my friend, is unbelievable. That people are now in certain places are being prosecuted and even persecuted for calling their boy a him or their girl a she because of gender kind of mix. Mixed up, uh, uh, mixed up theology. We're living in a time when it is unbelievable of what's taken place. The shaking that we have preached, that we have prophesied about folks is not coming. It's here and it's happening right now. It's not something in our future. It's happening even as I speak. And in other places they know it more than we do because we're more in a rural area and sometimes it takes a time to catch up where we're at. However, we have not only prophesied and preached about the coming and shaking to warn us and prepare us as a body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we've also prophesied and preached on the coming triumphant victory and favor that's coming upon the church and the people of God in these very last days. In the past, when we spoke of the coming world affairs, people were skeptical and they smeared and some of them mocked and laughed. Others just kind of ignored it and buried their hands in the sand in disbelief and disbelief and thought it'll never happen. They're, they're four-fetched, they're radicals. I've been called a radical. I've been called that I've lost my mind before 20 years ago in some of the things that I preached. However, now people are paying attention and when you talk about world affairs and the last days, they begin to believe and it brings fear and anxiety and worry upon them because it has become their reality and it's no longer just a prophecy or prediction, but now it's become an everyday part of life. Some of the things that we preach, folks, is a reality. We told you that there was coming a time when America would embrace homosexual and lesbian marriages and how they'd get them to try to adopt children and how that how that, that teaching would get into the public schools. And people laughed. Oh, that is crazy. That's not going to happen. Well, folks, it's happened. And there's many, many different other kinds of things that we preached. And now they're happening. The people that laugh, they're no longer laughing. They're saying, what in the world? Even people that are not Christians, they can see with their eyes that things is not right and things is becoming dark and things is becoming cold and indifferent. People see that one of the worst collapses that we are ever going to see or experience is about to come to our nation. They're seeing it unfold right before their eyes. They understand that some of the things that's going on, a nation cannot keep headed that direction and survive. How many believe what I'm preaching here today? However, when you look into the realm of the spirit concerning the church, you see or it seems to see that you 
see a new excitement, a new energy, a new atmosphere being formed. This is happening to bring about the promise and the prophecies that's hanging over the church's head concerning of the coming and awakening. I still believe that there's a coming of awakening to America. The church is entering into the realm of miracles, signs, and wonders, and deliverances, and it's already begun to be started. Yes, we see miracles around here, but not at the level that we're about to. Out in California right now, there's a minister by the name of Mario Morello. I hope I pronounced his name right, but he's putting up tents. He's just having old tent revivals, and people are flocking to him by the thousands. There was a prophecy that went out over California, and it said, the Lord said, I'm going to visit America again with a revival and an awakening, but keep your eye, it said, years ago upon California, because I love California. It's one of the most darkest places that there is, but it's beginning to be the, the number one uh, uh, state of, for Christian persecution. Christians are being persecuted for their faith. Uh, they're, being, they're being literally uh, uh, fired because of their faith. When they find out they're conservative Christians uh, in their belief, they're fired from their, their jobs. Uh, the churches are being fought to open up. They, they're doing everything in the world. They're finding churches. Uh, they're putting ministers in prison or in jail. Everything in the world's happening in California. And when Mario Morella heard of that prophecy, even in the light of everything that's going on, he said, we're going to defile, defy what the enemy's trying to do. And he put up tents and thousands are being saved. You don't see it on the news. There's nobody putting that out there, but he's putting it out there. And they got films of, of drug dealers bringing their drugs and throwing them at an altar and falling down and weeping and crying. There are prostitutes coming in. There are business people coming in. There are all kinds of walks of life that are coming into those tent revivals and getting saved. They're baptizing them by the hundreds and by the thousands. You don't hear it in the public media, but I want to tell you revival is beginning to take place out in California and it's going to spread to the rest of the United States. You're going to, you're just seeing a glimpse of it right now, but get ready. Get ready because God is not done with us and God has a plan for his church. Can I have an amen? The church is entering into the realm of miracles, signs, and wonders, and deliverance, and it's already started. Just like the uh, prophecies of the shaking in the world is upon us, even so, the divine awakening is also upon us, and we're entering into the season of the supernatural where salvation and healings and the miraculous is going to follow it. The problem the church has is it's more prone to focus on the physical than the spiritual. We're more prone to focus on what's happening in the natural world than what we're happening in the spirit world. There are all kinds of people that can be tell you what's going on. There's fear, there's anxiety. I prayed with somebody last night, a young boy, and he was crying. I said, what's your problem? And he just cried, and he said, I'm full of anxiety. And the Bible says in the last days that you, men's hearts will fail them because of fear. Can I have an amen? We're seeing fear and anxiety and worry and stress uh, all in America, and we're so prone to see everything that's going on and all of the darkness, and it seems like we can't do anything about it, and the more we pray, the more dark the country becomes, uh, and all of a sudden, we lose hope 
hope and we lose sight of what's happening in the spirit realm. It's not near as important as what's happening in the natural. What's important is that you can see what's happening in the spiritual. Can I have an amen? God's not on vacation. God is not dead. God has not stopped blessing. God has not stopped being God. He's the governor, the ruler, the president, the king, the majesty of the world. Can I have an amen? And he's not going to forsake his job and his duty upon the children of men. He's going to take care of us. That's his everlasting covenant with us. Can I have an amen? The problem the church has, though, it can't believe in what God wants to do because it keeps focusing upon the natural. The physical is more tangible and realistic than the spiritual because it can be seen and touched and handled, and we're more prone to be to go on our five senses than we are our spiritual senses. We have to realize that both of these coincide with each other, the physical and the spiritual. They exist at the very same time. They both happen in the light of the opposite nature of each other other. How can you have blessing during the time of brokenness? How can you have power in the midst of poverty? How can you have deliverance in the midst of devastation? How can you have victory when there's violence? How can you have favor in the midst of a famine? How can you have joy in the midst of sorrow? And the list goes on and on and on. How can you have your world collapse and the church progress at the very same time? How can you have your tangible physical world fall apart without it affecting your spiritual life? How can your life be rocked physically but be overwhelmingly blessed spiritually? How can you lose and yet win at the same time? How can you abound when you're being abased? How can you be strong when you're really weak? How can you be lifted up when you're really humbled or cast down like the Apostle Paul? These are all the double demands of Scripture, but Jesus summed it all up when he said in order to find life, you're going to have to learn how to lose it, but when you lose it, you're going to find out what life is really all about. Amen? It's learning how to deny ourselves and let the Lord be the Lord of our lives and let him shine through us the way that he wants to shine through us. One minute you hear messages on the downfall, the destruction, and the coming chaos of our nation. While on the other hand, you will hear messages from preachers on prosperity and blessings and favor during the end time, during the last days. How can this be? How can this happen? Who is right? Which prophet is right? Which preacher is right? The one that preaches doom and gloom or the one that preaches promise and blessing? What is going on in uh, even the church world? Are we divided in our belief? Are we divided in what we stand for? I'll tell you which one is right. They're both right because the answer is that both the prophet who preaches doom and the prophet that preaches blessing, they're both right. You see, I am convinced that it is the very shakening of a world that is going to cause the spiritual blessings to occur within the church. I believe that God is using the world conflicts to bring about a purifying and a purging purging from our nation from her idols. And it will cause the people of God once again to turn back to serve the Lord. If we don't have a strong foundation and an enduring faith and if we are tied to materialism and the physical world and the monetary system of this age during these last days of of the coming chaos, 
then we're going to crumble. We're going to fall apart. But if we're attracted more to the material things than the spiritual, if we love the present world and the things of this world, and we do not, and we do not have an everlasting faith in the supernatural, then I want to tell you we will not endure these last moments of time. But I believe that God is going to show us once again what true prosperity and what true blessings really are. True, true blessings is not in the natural. True blessings are in the spiritual. Can I have an amen? Every time Israel prospered, they became loose in their living and they decayed from the, they decayed in their morals and they always turned to idols. Go back in the Old Testament. That's just a repeat of history. They get to where God would bring judgment and they'd repent and they'd get all prosperous because of their righteous lives and because they had come to know God again and they were doing the right things and God blessed them for what they'd done. And then all of a sudden they get loose again in their morals and they would begin to fall apart and all of a sudden God would have to visit them again. So God had to bring them down over and over and over in order to get their attention and to cleanse them from their idolatry. Isaiah prophesied about how that there's coming a devastation like no other devastation that God had ever done before with Israel and that it was going to suddenly change not only their world but it was going to change the world around them. And then he's saying I am going to try to turn you back to see me. In Isaiah 24 and 13 we see the shakening of what is known as the olive tree. There is a 13 verse prophecy concerning the shakening of the olive tree which is Israel. Listen to what it says. Behold the Lord maketh the earth empty. He maketh it waste. He turneth it upside down. He scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. And it shall be with the people so with the priest. As with the servant so with the master. As with the maid so with the mistress. As with the buyer so with the seller. As with the lender so with the borrower as well. Who giveth us of him. In other words saying when this thing takes place Israel it's not going to just affect a segment of your nation. It's going to affect everybody. The buyer, the seller, the priest, the people, the servant, the master. It's going to start, It's going to affect the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the young, the old, the Jew, the Gentile. It's going to affect everybody. It's going to affect every single individual. There's not going to be one person left out from the, from the, uh, from the actual consequences of the shakening that's about to take place. In verse 3 he says the Lord shall be utterly the land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourneth and fadeth away. The world languish and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. What does the word languish mean? It means they'll cry, they'll pine, they'll grieve, they'll be full of sorrow, they'll mourn, they'll suffer. The word languish means forced to remain in an unpleasant place or situation. In other words what God's saying, you're going to mourn, you're going to cry, you're going to you're going to grieve, you're going to suffer because I'm going to force you to dwell in an unpleasant situation. I'm going to put you in a place you're not going to like. And then in verse 5, the earth is also defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, they've changed the ordinances, they've broken the everlasting covenant. How many knows that Israel, every time they broke covenant with God, that God would begin to bring judgment upon them. That God 
God would begin to correct them, that God would reach out and begin to bring in the Chaldeans or he'd bring in the Moabites or he'd bring in the Philistines. He'd bring in somebody to bring them back to their senses through judgment. And let me tell you, the United States of America has broken the covenant that God made with our forefathers. We are not a holy nation anymore. Can I have an amen? America and America's churches has been in decline for the last 40 years. There's just been about a two to five percent of, of different churches in America, denominations that have grown. Everything else, there are denominations, folks, that in 10 years, if something changes, those that's been around for almost 200 years are not even going to be in existence anymore. Churches are folding. Here in a, here, right around here in Papa Bluff, I can take you, with, I've been here for 35 years, and I can t- take you, that corner used to have a church. That corner used to have a church. Out here used to have a church. They're no longer there. Even their foundations ain't even there anymore. What is happening in America? Me and my wife were asking on the way here, she said, how many people do you think there's 5,000 people in church in Butler County this morning? I said, surely there is. And we started counting up here in Poplar Bluff the churches that are open and how many we thought went there. And then we got them wondering, I don't know if there is 5,000 in church in a county of 40,000 people. I really don't know. But I know one thing. We know that if something doesn't change, we're headed for a cesspool. We're headed for something that you and I can't even dream about what to happen. If God don't turn this thing around, America will not be spared. Now, hang on with me. I'm not done yet preaching. He goes on and says, the new wine mourneth. When the new wine representing the blessings of the Holy Spirit, the vine languished, talking about productivity. All the merry hearted, they're beginning to sigh. The mirth of tablets cease. The noise of them that rejoice ends. The joy of the heart, no more music, it stops. They shall not drink wine with a song anymore, but their strong drink shall be bitter to them that drink it. There's not going to be any dancing on the dance floors. They're going to drink to get drunk because they're misery, not because there's a party going on. Watch this. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up and no man, you talk about being quarantined? There's quarantine. The city of confusions are broken down. How many folks, you're not living in New York right now. You're not living in, in, uh, in Portland, Oregon right now. You're not living in Los Angeles. If you would see what the horror is going on, this scripture seems to fit everything that we're talking about right now. You talking about, he says, they're going to be, the houses will be shut up to where no man can come in. People are going to be quarantined, he says. There's crying for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The party of the land is over. It's gone. And the city is left desolate and the gates is smitten with destruction. When shall this be, he says, in the midst of the land among the people? There shall be the shaking of the olive tree and as the gleaming of grapes when the vintage is done. Now he tells you, he gives you an insight of when this is going to happen. It's going to happen when Israel is shaken. And number two, it's going to happen at a time close to harvest. And I'm here to tell you that the awakening that's about to happen to America, there's going to be a great harvest that takes place. But before the gleaning of grapes takes place, God says these things are coming upon the earth. Are you with me? In Scripture, the parallels between Israel and the United States is unbelievable. The way Israel goes is always the way that the United States goes. Just follow it. Amen? 
It's going to be a time of destruction, God says. And it's going to be a time of overwhelming darkness right before that God brings in his harvest. The same prophecy fits the description of our text of how that God had dealt with Israel in the time of the prophet Hosea. As we know, the whole book of Hosea is all about the backsliding of Israel going after what we call strange gods. God would use the relationship between the prophet Hosea and Gomer to give Israel a picture lesson of the kind of relationship that they had with him. The experiences that the prophet Hosea would have with his wife Gomer was actually God saying to Israel, this is what I constantly go through with you. Even as Gomer was prostituting herself to men all over, the, all over that city, even so Israel, according to God, was prostituting themselves to strange gods. And he's a jealous God and he won't allow it. Everything Hosea went through with Gomer, God had been going through with Ephraim according to scripture. And God actually required Hosea to go through this with his wife so that Israel could be given an object lesson to illustrate how he would deal with them as a nation. Here is God and he's telling Hosea, who's a prophet, you go marry Gomer, who's a prostitute. Could you imagine that? That God is sanctioning a marriage between a prostitute and a prophet. Don't mix. It's even unscriptural within the New Testament. And he gives them three messages through three children that Hosea would have with this prostitute wife. The first name of the son was Jezreel, and it means to scatter. This would be the first message to the northern tribe of Israel that if they did not repent, that he would disintegrate them and their kingdom and he would scatter them throughout the land and they would be scattered to the four corners of the earth. And that actually happened. The second message came through the second born who was a daughter and her name meant no more mercy. This was to tell them that judgment was around the corner and this of course was referring to the Syrian army that would evade and it did evade and it did come in, it invaded them and it destroyed them. And God had saved them from other evasions and wars many, many times. God had spared them from plagues and diseases. God had led them out of bondage time and time again. But now he's saying when this comes, when the Syrians come, there's no more mercy for you. And the third message came from the third child who was a son who was named Not My People. This is where God actually begins to write a bill of divorcement to Israel that Isaiah talked about because of their whoredom and their infidelity. Prior to this, we see that grace and mercy of God on display time after time after time as Hosea would go get Gomer off the streets and bring her back home. We even see Hosea's love and patience endurance for Gomer even to the point of planting hedges of thorns around the house to protect her from herself. But that did not even stop her for her to go out into her whoredom. Can you imagine a prophet going out and finding his wife sleeping with all these men and saying, come on, you're coming back home. He'd go get her and he'd bring her back. He'd have her for a few days and all of a sudden she'd come up missing again. And he would go out and find her and she was out prostituting herself. He would find her and he would bring her back. And this is what God is saying. This is what I've done to you, Israel. Every time I get you back home and get you straightened out, it's just a few little short years before you're out 
prostituting yourself all over again? Why can't you stay at home? Why can't you do what's right? And here, oh, Hosea goes back and forth and back. Finally, he brings her home. He puts up a big gate that she can't get through, puts a lock on it, plants thorns all the way around the house. And these thorns grow up, and he thorns her in to say, I'm going to protect you because I love you that much. But even that did not stop her. She went through the hedge of those thorns, inflicting herself because she was bent on doing what she wanted to do. And that word bent means iniquity. She was full of iniquity. And she could not dwell in the house with Hosea the prophet. And she afflicted herself in order to get out and to do what she wanted to do. And let me tell you, anytime you got iniquity to the point that you're bent on doing what you're going to do, you're bringing self-affliction upon your life just like she did. And she goes out and she finds herself prostituting again. And now you see God scattering Israel and having no more mercy and writing a bill of divorcement saying I'm not going to be married to you no more. But right in the middle of all this, God begins to try one more thing to get Israel's attention and affection. Just like old Hosea did. Do you remember what Hosea did? All of a sudden uh, Gomer goes out. She's gone for a long time. He said, I'm going to go after her one more time. And he goes out and he begins to hear an auction. And upon that auction block stood his wife. They were auctioning her off to the highest bidder. And the bid that came in was not even close to the earnings of a slave. That was the highest bid that they got. Not even the people of the town wanted her. She was used up. Every man knew her. She had become old. She would become old stuff. And no one even wanted her. She couldn't even buy a half of the price of a slave. And here she is standing up there. No one wanting her. No one bidding on her. She's worthless. She's not worth anything. She's beat up, bruised, afflicted. And she, her age is showing. And no one wants her. She's full of probably disease. But yet out of nowhere, you hear right before the gavel falls to sell her to somebody for half of a slave. You hear a voice that screams out a bid that is fit for a queen. And no one could imagine who in the world it was. But out of the dark alley come a man by the name of Hosea whose name means Savior. The Savior seen her in all of her darkness and all of her being used up and nobody wanted her. An outcast. She was no longer attractive. She was no longer wanted. But here come Hosea, the lover of her life, the glory of the salvation of the Lord and steps in and bids the price of a queen for her. Can I have an amen? Somebody give the Lord praise here. Because that was where you and I were at. Amen? But notice verse 15. This is a key verse. Oh, Lord, help me preach. And I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as the days in which she come out, even out of the land of Egypt. Now, here's Isaiah and Hosea's messages being tied together. God's given them the illustration of Hosea. And now, right here, even though God says, I've wrote you a bill of divorcement, I'm not going to give you no more mercy, you're going to be scattered. Yet God says, and I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of Acre for a door of hope. God said that he would give her the valley of Acre for a door of hope. When I read that, man, something grabbed a hold of my spirit. I said, I got to study and see what that means. A lot of times we'll just read through that kind of stuff. We'll not even pay attention to what it's saying. How many of you want a door of hope in the time of your darkness? 
Amen? God says, I'm going to give you a valley of hope, a door of hope in the valley of Acre. The valley of Acre was where Achan's tent was, where the valley was called, and it was, the valley was called that because of the sin of Achan and the judgment that fell there. You remember what happened there? Achan was a man that did not obey God when they went over and they took over Jericho, the first city. God said, when, you take the, when we take this city, the spoil's mine, it's not yours. Everything that we take from the city, the gold, the silver, the wealth of, of, of that city is mine. No one can have a sin of it, not a piece of it. You know why? Because the first city was a tithe unto the Lord. I've said this before. Jericho was God's tithe. If you'll follow Israel's pattern, every time that they, they went to the first city, they conquered it, they could not keep any of the spoils. They'd go conquer nine more, and then the next one would be a first one again, and God says, you can't have no spoils of this city. The first of every tenth one would be God's. Your tithe is not the last thing you do, it's the first thing you do. And because Achan says, oh, nobody's gonna know it, there's a beautiful Babylonian garment, there's some silver, there's some gold. He takes portions of it. Out of all the wealth of that great big city, he just takes a little small portion, just a garment, just silver and gold, just a little bit. He goes in his tent, digs a hole and buries it and covers it up and thinks no one will know and no one will ever see. The problem is God's seen it. And as a result of it, it brings a curse upon the whole camp of Israel. They went out to Ai to try to whip a little bitty city and that little, little bitty city killed a bunch of their people and sent a bunch of them home wounded and they thought, what in the world has happened to us? We conquered this big city and we can't even take on Dudley. Amen? We can't take on Fisk. What in the world has taken place here? And they got Joshua, that great leader, began to pray and ask God what in the world is going on and he said, there's sin hidden in the camp. And all of a sudden, a woman by the name of Jael goes to that tent one night and gets her a tent stake, and she walks in. He's asleep. She puts that tent stake right there, and she's sleeping on the temple of his head, and wham, he, she nails it and nails his hide to the ground, and he dies. There's two things you need to learn by that. The wages of sin will bring forth death in your life. He killed him. And the second thing that you need to know is that if you don't nail sin to the floor, nail it to the cross, that curse is upon you. If sin ain't rectified, if sin ain't dealt with, it'll bring a curse upon your life. Can I have it? Boy, everybody's being quiet in here today. The word acre means troubling or the place of trouble. Listen closely to the message. God is going to lead them into the valley of trouble for a door of hope. Now, I... I want to tell you, I like hope, but I don't like it this way. Come on, sometimes God gives you a door that you don't want to walk through because it's not always, unple it's not always pleasant where God wants you to walk. God reaches out to them one more time by leading them into the valley of trouble. God has hope that in this last attempt that Israel will come to their senses and he'll get their attention. God knows that it is here that it's either the making or the breaking point of their lives. And I believe that God is going to use trouble to make us become the nation that we once was. I believe that God is going to use the shakening to awake us from the slumber and rid us of our folly and our apathy and our lukewarmness. I really believe that. You see, when we look at see what happened during the election, we had a president that was trying to stop abortion. 
We had a president that was given us securing the religious right for the believer. We had a president that forged the platform, not, not him as an individual, but forged the platform. It was all seeming to be the right things. And then all of a sudden, we think the devil stole that from us, and we wonder what in the world happened. Is it really the devil that stole that from us, or is God allowing it to happen for a season in order to shake us to bring about the kind of work that we really need in our lives? I want to tell you, Donald Trump is not Savior. I'll tell you who the Savior is. His name is Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? And when people put more faith in a president than they do their Messiah, I want to tell you that's idolatry. Oh, God, help me. We cover up. We justify our sins in our nation. We make excuses for our behavior. We live loosely, carelessly. We take the presence of God for granted. We take the everyday blessings of God for granted. Our homes, our clothing, our, our food, our water, our shelter, our security, our families. We excuse our actions, justify our weaknesses by our strengths, and we overlook our attitudes, and we think that nothing we think nothing of being unfaithful to God in small areas. But God is putting us into the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble, so that he might rid us of our infidelity and our idolatry. As a matter of fact, he is alluring us and drawing us according to the first passage of Scripture. In our t it's God pulling us into this valley, and you can't stop it, and I can't stop it. It's happening. You can pray all you want. God, don't let this come upon me. You can pray like Jesus said. Lord, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. But I want to tell you, the cup could not pass from him. And neither are you going to get out of the time of shaking and the time of trouble that's coming upon the world. Because the shaking is designed to get your attention. Woo! Somebody help me preach. It's the making of the breaking point right now. And God knows that he runs a risk breaking us to the point of no return, but he also knows he don't have us where we're at. Amen? He loves us enough to give us one more chance and he loves us enough, enough and he loves us too much to keep us where we're at. Notice what he, what the, the, what he hopes that this trouble will cause or do. Look at verse 15. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she come up out of the land of Egypt. In other words, there's going to be, he's hoping that this shaking, and he believes that we are, he wouldn't do it. He's prophetically prophesying that this shaking is going to bring some transformation. It's going to bring some renewal, and it's going to bring revival in our hearts. We're going to sing, he says, like when you were first saved. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're going to feel like you just got saved all over again. We're going to turn back to our first love. Can you have an amen? He says, by the time this shaking's done, you're gonna come to know me all over again and you're gonna sing as if you just got saved all over. How many remember the day that you were saved? Can I have an amen? And you know what he said in the prophecy of Isaiah? Your song's gone. But now he's saying, you're gonna sing like you, was, like you were just firstly saved. In other words, he says, you're gonna have a new experience. And can I tell you, we find, then we'll find comfort in the midst of our chaos and we'll find peace in the midst of our problems. Look at verse 16. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Macy and shall call me no more Bailey. Macy means husband. In other words, get ready. And he said, I wrote you a bill of divorcement, but I'm ready to marry you again. Woo! You're going to call me instead of master. You're going to call me husband. You're going to go into a deeper relationship than you've ever had. You're not going to serve me because I'm a master. You're going to serve me because I'm your beloved. Can I have an amen? 
When the church begins to quit trying to treat God as a master and start seeing him as a loving husband and a loving heavenly father, we'll never have the revival that we need to have. Now notice, let's go on. God isn't sending trouble to destroy us, but as a door of hope in order to restore us. That's what God's doing. Listen to what he says in our text. Let's read our text. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. In other words, God's ridden us of our idolatry. Verse 18, and in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beast of the field and with the fowls of the heaven and with the creeping things of the ground, and I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down in safety. Now he becomes again our rock of offense. He becomes our buckler, our shield, our high tower, our guard. He becomes the watchman over our lives. And now he's saying, I'm gonna remove the bow and the sword from the land. There's not even gonna be war anymore. You're gonna have peace and safety. And then he says, I will betroth, there's the betroth, there's the wedding vows, thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth, there he says it again, thee unto me in righteousness. You're gonna become righteous again. And in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. There's the mercy that he said he'd never give us. And I will betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. You're gonna learn how to become faithful, he says, when I'm done with you. And then he says, and thou shalt know the Lord. He said, when I get done with you through the work of trouble, through the work of the shakening, you're gonna be a new creature in Christ Jesus. And when I'm done with you, you're gonna come to know me and who I am. Amen. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth. In other words, I'm gonna establish prayer and all over again, you know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna hear your petitions. I'm gonna hear your cry. I'm gonna answer your prayers. And then listen to him. Verse 23, and I will sow her into the earth and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. I will say to them which were not my people, thou art my people, and thou shall say, thou art my God. He says, I cast you off, but I'm bringing you back. He said, you weren't my people, but I'm gonna make you my people again. He said, I wasn't gonna show you mercy, but I've changed my mind. I'm gonna have mercy upon you. God's saying, I'm gonna come and give you another hope, hope but this door of hope is gonna be through the valley of Achor. It's gonna be through your troubling that's gonna bring some senses to where you're at and a reality to where you're at as a nation. The world's cry is the reason for our crusades. The world's pain is the reason for our peace. The world's trouble is the reason for our testimonies. Acre, the valley of trouble, is the door of hope to bring restoration back to the church, back to America, and renew us back, back into a fruitful land. I think this is going to come upon us very speedily. I think that's where we're at right now. I believe that. Can anybody see that we're, having, we're fixing to have some real trouble? Folks, they're giving millions upon millions of dollars away in stimulus. A lot of that stimulus is going to bail out cities that squandered their money, come on. The corruption is unbelievable. The amount of money that's going to individuals to pay them for their slothfulness. The amount of money they're giving trillions and trillions. Of, do you not understand all over the news lines everywhere behind the scenes that they're not putting on the televisions that everybody's saying, hang on, America, you better get ready to see what it's like to be in a land that files for bankruptcy. It can't sustain itself. It's not going to sustain itself. It's coming upon us speedily. I believe that 2021, though, is going to be the greatest year for the church and God's people. It's the beginning of the start of it. I believe that the church is poised and God is preparing the church to go into a higher dimension in God. It has been said by many, 
but yet not attained. It's been prophesied, but it's not been fulfilled. It's been preached, but it's not been practiced. It's been told, but it's never been taken hold of. Of all the things God's people's got, the, all these promises, but we've never followed up and took hold and claim of those promises. And God has spoken to us over and over again as a church. And I believe that God is getting ready for the best days of our lives as the palace of praise. Sounds ridiculous. One minute we're talking about trouble, the collapse, devastation, darkness, and the next minute we're talking about the best days of our lives. How can that be? I believe that God is getting us ready for the flood of people that's fixing to come in as a result of the Valley of Acor. It's already happening. I've been visiting with some of our visitors, trying to get them to know me, as many as I can, many as I find out. I can't all of them, and Melody's working, and other people are working. And all of them are saying, man, I'm just troubled by what's going on in our world. It's got their attention. I've seen a vision, a little vision, and I don't see very many visions. I've seen a handful in 35 years of ministry. I'm not a guy that has dreams every night. If I do, it's because of the pizza I ate at midnight. <laughs> I have a lot of nightmares. But I don't have very many dreams and visions. But I've had a few, and one of them I've seen when I walked, and I've told this, I don't know how many times here, before all that was even developed, that whole hillside was nothing but people as far as you could see all the way from that, all that creek right out in front of us all the way up the hill, all the way over the hill from one side of where the school's at all the way to PP. And they were crowded in as much as, and you remember that old commercial, and I've, I've used this as illustration. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And all them people behind him, just floods of people, the AT&T or whatever. Uh, I don't even know. All I remember is, do you hear me now? And I looked, and I, that, that's what it reminded me of. And in my spirit, and, I, and I've, I've never wanted to speak this because I didn't want to speak something to existence, but now I know. But there were just fear and trouble all over their faces, anguish. And they were in a fast pace. They were getting to where they were going and they were going there fast as if there was an urgency. And I felt the urgency of that crowd. And I was standing there in the foyer and I was seeing this vision and I said, Lord, what is this? And where are these people going? He said, they're coming to the church. I said, oh God, they're coming to the church. He said, prepare, they're coming to the church. And all of a sudden in my spirit, I felt like that something devastating happened in the nation that something awful had took place and that there was fear and trouble like a, as if a bomb had hit the United States, a nuclear bomb or, a, or if an earthquake had happened in the region or something of that magnitude. I said, these people are faced with real hard circumstances. What do you want me to do with them, God? They're coming to the church. God just said, prepare. I want to tell you what's about to happen. America is going to go through some dark, it's going through some dark times right now. And there are effects of it in different segments of our nation right now, but it's going to spread and it's going to get worse before it gets better. But every time it gets worse and the more dark it gets, God is creating a door of hope in the valley of Acor. Can I have an Amen. It's been said being on the cutting edge of triumph requires attaining goals that's, that lie beyond the scope of your expectation. And I'm about to quit. We cannot allow the coming chaos to distract us. We cannot allow the trouble to cause us to lose sight of our promise. 
We cannot allow circumstances to control us and we cannot live in the natural. We have to live in the supernatural and the spiritual. We cannot allow fear to rob us of our faith. Are you with me? The significance of a man is not what he attains, but rather in what he longs to attain. In other words, there is a pursuit and there has to be a belief. There has to be a vision in this church. There has to be a dream and expectation and a belief in a coming promise. If we lose faith and become faint-hearted, we will be consumed by the Valley of Acor. The Valley of Acor is not there to scare us as the people of God because God's not given us the spirit of fear but of love and a power and of a sound mind. It's not there to consume us. God does not want us to walk in fear but in faith. But it is there as a door of hope. It will work for us if we can only believe. Romans 8, 28, does it not say, for we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are thee called according to his purpose? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and 18, so we fix our eyes not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen, for that which is seen is temporal, but that which is unseen is eternal. And he tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, no eyes seen, nor ear heard, nor is the inner the heart of man, the things that God's got prepared for them to love him, but God has revealed them to us by his spirit. In other words, the word conceived simply means in this passage of scripture that you become impregnated. In order to give birth, you must become pregnant. The church has to become impregnated with a dream, with a vision, with a hope. We have to have an idea, a thought, a vision, a dream, and it must be conceived in our minds, in our spiritual wombs by the Holy Spirit before it can ever really be manifested. We have to believe in what's about to come to pass because only faith is what lays hold and claim of the promises of God. Before it can be born or before it can be coming to reality in our lives, we have to believe it. Do you believe what I'm preaching this morning? We have to see it and hear it and believe it, not in the natural, but in the spiritual for it to come past. We cannot allow the coming trouble to dilute our thinking. And we cannot allow the coming pain and pressure to postpone or to negate our spiritual promise. In these last days, God is saying, when the church begins to operate in what they hear, see, and conceive in the spirit, I'll open up a fresh anointing that'll break the yoke of the land and I'll cause my anointing to flow through them. It is an anointing that will enable the church to operate in this due dimension of the spirit instead of being controlled by fear that, that's created by our present circumstances. God is saying because you will, now listen, this is what he spoke to me. Because you will see the invisible, you will do the impossible. Because you will touch the intangible, you will achieve the incredible. Huh. Because you will hear the inaudible, you will, hear the, you will he have the unimaginable. Did you hear what God is promising us? If you'll operate in the spirit, he says, you're gonna do the impossible, you're gonna achieve the incredible, and you will have the unimaginable. In the valley of Acre, the church must not fall into a state of trauma but it must see and hear and manifest the truth of the scripture and see past the present circumstances to the promise of promise in the midst of their own trouble. This trouble's real. You're gonna feel the effects of it, but how are you gonna allow that trouble to govern your faith? God is going to give us favor. He's preparing us for the harvest and God is going to allow the palace to get recognized because of the gifts that's going to be announced through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every darkness of our lives is going to give way to the glory of God and we'll have daily fruitfulness. All of our lack will give away to abundance. Right in the middle of famine, we're going to be blessed. Amen? 
The rejected shall become the selected. The underdogs are going to be the one that rise up and do the greatest work. People from all around is going to hear the testimonies and the awesomeness of God of what's taking place down there at that church on the hill called the Palace of Praise. And everything we do, God's wanting us to succeed, even in the times of trouble, even especially in the times of trouble. God's saying, right in the midst of your trouble, I want you to succeed. Can I have an amen? I believe that God is raising up the church for this last day trouble to walk in dominion over every circumstance and situation. We have to look ahead as if it's impossible for us to fail because we believe in the promise that much. God has placed us here at this time, at this spot, at this place, at such a time of this. It's not by accident. It's not by coincidence that we're here in this point of history. This is the design plan of God. We are the right body. We are the right people. We are the right family to get something done. He did not choose us to fail, but he chose us to succeed. Our success is non-negotiable, and there will be unprecedented success in our lives. I want you to know that I believe it's impossible for us to fail. I believe it that much. I believe God's called us for such an hour as this. But we have to believe it to the point of exercising it, manifesting it. I said, Lord, there's been so many people laugh at me and some of my preachers, he said, those that laughed at you, they'll become to laugh with you at the end. No matter how bad it may seem or how bad it's going to get, we still have to operate in the spirit. We have to find rest and peace and security in Christ. God is gonna give us visions that are clear, virtues that are right, victory that is certain. We're not gonna lack in counsel or ideas because we will have eyes that will see, we'll have ears that will hear, and we'll have hearts that will understand. In the place of breakdown, we're gonna have breakthroughs, amen? In our confusion, we will be enlightened. In our weakness, we will be strengthened. Because that's what Paul said. My grace, God says, is sufficient for thee, for in my strength, for in my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. And Paul said, then most gladly that I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may what flow through me or be upon me. God's about to change beauty in the place of ashes, oil of gladness in the place of heaviness. Every closed door against our greatness and destiny will begin to open up on its own accord. We will be instructed and illuminated within by the Holy Spirit. We'll do the right things at the right time. We will rise above our obstacles and be carried on the wings of eagles. And if need be, God will dispatch angels on our behalf. We will fulfill destiny and will not frustrate the voice of God. I believe we'll obtain this unseen during all this trouble that shall come upon the land. We will become the head of the community, the hope of all past and future generations, old and young alike, because we know where we're going. We have a hope. We're gonna present that hope and the whole world will see it, step aside and they'll start following us and they'll be saved. We'll grow in wisdom and in stature. We'll find favor with God and man and God is gonna fulfill our horn with oil, our mouths with wisdom, our hearts with love and the church with glory for these last day troubles. I'm reminded and I'm gonna close with this. I'm reminded of when the children of Israel were in Egypt and God was about to bring judgment upon the Egyptians. The Israels were slaves, the least likely, the outcasts, come on, living in the land of Goshen, in the land of poverty. 
And God begins to visit Egypt and all of its wealth and all of its power, strongest military might in the world. And God says, Pharaoh let my people go and he wouldn't do it, he hardened his heart. God sends a series of plagues upon that nation. Not gonna preach on them all. But every time a plague hit them, it was refrained from Goshen and the children of Israel were blessed. Come on. Instead of hailstones, we're gonna get hallelujahs. Can I have an amen? Instead of the gross darkness, we're gonna get deliverance. Amen? Come on, somebody help me preach right here. Every time God does something to shake the old world, there's gonna become favor to the people of God that's got faith. We may live in the land of Goshen, we may live in the land of lack, and we may not have everything that we want, but it don't matter, favor's coming, get ready. Because I wanna tell you how it's coming. By the time Israel left and got their deliverance, guess what? They took everything Egypt had with them. The gold, the silver, the wealth of Egypt. They literally was getting it up by, by, by cartloads and they took the wealth of Egypt with them. And I want to tell you, the rapture of the church is the next thing after this thing happens. And when we go out, we're going not going out as a weak anemic church. We're going out a prosperous church. We're going out as a bride adorned for her husband, washed and pure and holy without wrinkle or without any such thing. The church in all of her glory is going to go up. He's not coming out after an old worn out woman. He's coming back for a church in its splendor and its greatness. We're going to be at the greatest point we've ever been when the rapture takes place. Would you stand with me this morning? There's no reason to tear over your trouble. Come on, somebody. There's no sense sitting around fretting and worrying and having depression and falling apart about what's taking place. Yeah, it's gonna affect us. It's gonna affect the priest and the people alike. The buyer, the seller. It's gonna, everybody, young, old, black, white, don't matter who you are, you're gonna go through some lean times, hard times. You may lose some things. You're gonna go through where there's not gonna be any partying in the world. Glamorous stuff. We're so spoiled, we run out and get our $30,000, some people $50,000, some people $80,000 vehicles. Started up and we have heated steering wheels, heated seats, air conditioning cars, leather, lay back. Some of us pay more for our car than we did our house. We fire it up and we go, some of us got two and three car families. All that may change. How's your faith gonna be then as a believer? What happens when you have to start downsizing? Come on. What happens when you can't have the side-by-sides and the four-wheelers and the golf carts and the speed boats and the fishing boats? And what happens when you can't have the top brand clothing to go out with the top brand golf clubs to do your good golfing on the, what you would call the golf course or the, the country club where all the, main guys hang out. What happens when you can't afford to join the country club anymore? Woo, it's getting tight in here now. What happens when you go from a Cadillac to a moped? What happens?
happens when you go from a 5,000 square foot home to a 400 square foot home with a family living with you. He said, Brother Miller's going to be, I don't know. I'm just throwing out scenarios. I'm not trying to scare you. But I'm just asking if those things do happen, what happens at your prosperous business that you've had for 30 years because of the sin of a nation that has gone crazy and God, it begins to affect you on a physical sense and you lose that business that you worked for for 30 years? What happens when they come in and all your 401ks and all of your, all of your Social Security and all of your money that you put back in different IRAs, the government comes in and taxes and takes most of it away from you? Right now, they're trying to do that. Right now they're trying to pass a bill to where they're going to, you used to not have to pay any kind of taxes on your savings until you begin to draw it out. Now they're wanting to come and take 50% of it away from you. Why? So all these people that are flooding in can be on equal ground with all of us. And if one person's poor, then we all need to be poor. It's the way they look. They're trying to make them be rich like us by taking away from us. Socialism always ends up leading to communism, always leads up to dictatorship, always leads up to the people in the nation becoming slaves. What happens if that happens? Are we going to go that far? I hope not. I hope that America gets its senses before that happens. But what is ever going to happen to the destiny of America is going to be determined by how the people, the people of God respond to the valley of trouble, their door of hope. We're going to whine and cry. We cry over a worship machine that tears up. We lose faith and say, the devil's attacking me. My worship machine and my car and my toaster tore up all in the same week. Get a life. My electric bill went up 50 bucks. What happens when they go up 400%? They're predicting in America, do you not know this? A $200 electric bill now, four years from now, if they have their way in going to green energy, your electric bills will be anywhere from a $700 to $1,000 a month. Did you not see the electric bills that Texas got? Some of them were $11,000 for the month. You're saying, oh, brother, man, you're crazy. You're out here left. Look at what's going on, folks. Open your eyes. There's a troubling in our land. And the only hope that's going to turn it around is when the people of God ignore them circumstances and believe by faith and stand in the valley of the door of hope in Achor and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and people come running in and give their lives back to establish everlasting covenant with God and God will restore the land and the party that was over, God will say, I'm going to bring the music back to the streets. I'm going to bring the new wine back in. The Spirit's going to start flowing through the land again. I'm going to start hearing your prayers. I'm going to start reversing the effects of trouble. I'm going to start blessing and prospering the nation. I'm going to start blessing them 
America again. As a result, not of what the government does, not by what politicians does. Our hope is not in the government. Our hope is not in the politician. Our hope is in the beloved Jesus Christ who's going to come down and bless the church and the church is going to take the blessing and preach and proclaim and decree and declare the goodness of God and the land of the living and it shall happen in our day and our time and we shall see the fruit thereof. And then he says in that next verse, you'll hear the corn, you'll hear the wine, you'll heal the fruit. In other words, all that's coming back. The destiny of America lies in the hope of the church being the church in the time of crisis. We're gonna have enough faith to feed people in the midst of famine or are we gonna hoard it up for ourselves? Are we gonna do ministry? Believe God for divine provision? Come on. Are we willing to take less that we might give more to somebody else in the time of trouble? We're going to be Christians. This morning, I don't know how to do this altar call other than this. Prepare your hearts. If you're here this morning, your heart is full of fear. Your heart is full of grief. Your heart is full of sorrow. There's uncertainty. You're facing some of the effects. Some of you are already facing some of the effects. Right now, everybody's rejoicing because they got a $1,400 stimulus. Woo-hoo. Four or five of my business people told me, said, I ain't had no workers all week because they got their stimulus. They don't even want to work. They're going out and partying, man. They're having a good time. Some, some, some families got seven, eight thousand dollars. They got four kids. I told Jenny before that stimulus happens, we need to go out and adopt about five kids. And then we're done. We need to give them back. Amen. Wow, everybody's partying until payday. Somebody's got to pay for that stuff. And guess how they're going to pay it? They're fixing to raise taxes. Get ready. You're already paying for it in a little bit. You know how? Go to the gas pump. Have you noticed gas went up already a dollar a gallon? Oh, it ain't done yet. Hang on. What happens if that gets three and four and five dollars a gallon? What are we going to do? Valley of Acorn. I'm asking you to grab a hold of your faith here today and build up your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. Take the word of God. Faith come by hearing and hearing the word of God. God wants us to increase our faith more than ever. I'd like for you right where you're at just to, if you would, if you feel comfortable, get with your wife and a couple others. Get in a little small group right where you're at. You don't have to walk down the altar, but pray for one another. Would you do that right now?